Can we change the way we produce food to both meet the needs of humans whilst regenerating our soils and ecosystems? And can we do so in a way that improves the financial viability of farms? These questions are becoming increasingly urgent to answer, and we're here to investigate a promising technique called agroforestry in order to find out how it can help us with these challenges. We'll be interviewing farmers, scientists, and other experts to share with you their experiences, practical advice, and scientific research. Welcome back to the Regenerative Agroforestry Podcast. I'm your host, Etienne. In this episode, I talk with Felix Rieken, who is planting out silver pastoral and silver arable systems on his family farm in the north of Germany. He explains the journey that led him to agroforestry and integrating these techniques into the family business. His systems being still quite young, we focus the conversation on the design, the objectives, and the establishment of the tree systems. This goes from choosing the right genetics to protecting the trees and managing the weeds. Felix also explains how he successfully funded the agroforestry systems. Unfortunately, we had many technical issues during the recording with Felix, so the quality of the recording is not perfect. I apologize for that, and I hope you still enjoy the episode. So, hi Felix, um, welcome to the podcast. Hey Etienne, very nice to having me. It's, it's a great honor to be part of this. To kick us off, tell us a bit more about uh, your family farm and a bit of its history. Okay, like, um, it started nine. 1899 so we have quite a journey ahead it's um, been bought from the father of my great-great-grandfather he got the farm uh, to start off Um, I don't know a lot about what happened back then but in one writing it said we now have to work for all the stuff that got neglected to make this farm flourish again So this is something that got really into my head, something that moved me. I think all of my predecessors on this farm worked their asses off, which makes me very proud and, yeah, curious was what what was back then. But, well, this is something um, nobody can answer me. Well, I have this writing and and I want to do the same to, to make this farm flourish and, and um, yeah, benefit the generations after me as my predecessors did. So, keeping this journey growing, my great-grandfather, um, he was known to be a guy that really, yeah, cared for nature. He fed the wildlife during winter and he he was known to be always carrying a little tree with him. Um, and yeah, he was he was trying to fix holes in the so-called knicks that we have um, on, on the borderlines of the paddocks. We um, have a lot of wind here in northern Germany um, between the two oceans. Um, so uh, this countryside is known for these tree lines that divide different paddocks from each other to reduce the wind uh, impact. So my great-grandfather, as I said, he was known to always carry a little tree to, to fix a hole somewhere or to, yeah, to, to plant. So 
back then the farm got everything that that yeah one knows from a child books about farms um, and then uh, my my grandfather he was mm, going with his time after the war um, doing kind of what most of the people most of the farmers did back then he was specializing in our case he was specializing on milk production and uh, effectivity that meant to get rid of all the small animals that brought diversity but also a lot of work it meant to spray for example herbicides to not have 10 people weeding all year long it meant to invest in a big stable outside the village and machinery that makes many trees stand in the way he once took me on a walk through a new planted fodder hedge and was kind of apologizing when he told me where there were trees he took away during the land clearing I find that very impressive but I never judged him for his actions it, it was the time you were an outsider I think um, if you wouldn't take away your trees and maybe the farm wouldn't exist today if he wasn't taking these decisions so we club coming closer towards today in 2006 we built our own creamery to get off the global market on milk that was giving us a hard time during the milk crisis and now now we produce milk and cheese and fresh cheese and yogurt for customers in a radius of about 15 kilometers around the farm which includes our capital of the state Schleswig-Holstein called Kiel with around 250,000 inhabitants. We built up a delivery system that brings our goods directly to the front door of our customers. It's about 1,500. And also we sell to some food retailers close by, some cafes, some kindergartens and offices. So... In 2016, we got our own shop on the farm with a self-service system that was pretty fine. So very cheap for us to maintain. And um, during the pandemics, we got more products from different farms in our region to sell next to our products. And now it's over 300 different products that are also sold over our delivery system. And... What we also do is like a, a small kindergarten is placed on our farm and uh, every Monday we get like um, school kids coming here to learn about nature and how, uh, how food is um, produced. And finally in, in 2017 we got organic certified without having a lot to change. I, I put a little bit of pressure on my parents because I was amazed by this movement during my apprenticeship. But well, they did all the work that uh, that the certification need to. So the last events, um, like that, were just a few years ago. We we were installing a wood chip heating for our whole farm, including the creamery and and some some our neighbors around in the village and so yeah this this gives us the spaces of a a very sustainable um place to yeah bring our customers and and all the people around us uh, 
the goods of our land in a very nice way. Could you give us a sense at this point uh, a bit more about the production system? All right. So the, the farm is about 90 hectares big. It's um, 222 acres in total. About 1.5 hectares is the yard itself and all the infrastructure. And then we have 40 hectares of grazing paddocks. And the rest is arable land. So, yeah, close to 50-50. Um, the, the, the climate here is temperate. We, we have about 765 millimeters of rainfall with around 700 hours of sun and a average temperature of 8.5 degrees. So we are a little bit influenced by the Gulf Stream coming here. Uh, through the North Sea, and that gives us a little bit of warmth, which is quite nice. Let's the grass grow very good. And uh, what kind of soil do you have? Um, it's clayey with some sand inside. I'm I'm not sure how the perfect um, word is for that. Yeah, but it's it's a heavy soil. Um, hard to to cultivate uh, perfectly but um, has a lot of nutrients inside and holds a lot of water so um, yeah beneficial that's for sure it's not sand or something that you can't really work with well coming back to the climate in, in 2018 this was very different um, so so this year we've had um, a, a really warm winter with a lot of rain. So, um, yeah, I, I wonder how, how these numbers are going to change um, because of the climate change. Um, every year we have some kind of weather phenomena that my grandfather, after more than 60 years of living here, hasn't experienced yet. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's always hard to, to tell how the climate is or how it's going to be. But... Um, yeah, the soil gives us the benefit um, that, as I said, the, the water can be held very long and um, we, we have a good situation um, even on a changing climate. Great. And like we, as I said, produce um, milk in the first hand and um, that's where we are definitely specialized at the moment still. But um, it's a little bit of diversifying going on. So last year we seriously started with uh, vegetables, growing garlic and pumpkins and celery alongside the trees. It's kind of amazing. I, I will talk later about that, for sure. And we also produced and sold a few tomato plants for our customers in the spring to grow in their backyards. And every year we have one field of, um, of grains on our cropping rotation. Um, we grow spelt usually um, for selling to the open market. And yeah, I think that's about what's interesting to the farm. One thing is that all, all our 
fields are very close by, so we, we don't have to drive more than 1.5 kilometers to, to reach every part of our farm. This is very amazing. And especially with the cows, um, the, the grazing paddocks are just next to our stables. So there's 30 hectares of, of grass uh, where we can just open the doors and let the cows graze. Sounds like a pretty epic farm. Oh, it's amazing. <laughs> so for, for uh, having a little bit of picture of the countryside, it's a little bit hilly, uh, not too much, so, but, but not flat at all. Um, it, it looks like a little bit um, from from the Lord of the Rings, how it's called the the Shire. The Shire, yes. I always like to compare. And how do you come into the picture then? I mean, uh, you've mentioned it's a family farm, but have you always uh, known that you wanted to farm there, or how did you come about um, getting started there? It's a little bit of a journey. Uh, I, I will start. Um, with the apprenticeship. So when, when I experienced organic farming in my second year of apprenticeship, there, there was like passion being built. I, I, I truly loved to learn how to work with the principles of nature, trying to build nutrient cycles and, instead of chains and trying to interfere with nature to make it more productive in terms of producing food. So during this apprenticeship, I, I always wanted to dig deeper then, then my teachers could answer, and, and I was on my way to understand how, how agriculture functions. At one point, I realized that the main part of agriculture is to solve problems that nature is setting. So we always work against natural processes in agriculture. Um, I figured that that was one key event that that would have a bigger impact on what I was about to experience later on. And I, I went on to study ecological agriculture, agricultural science in Witzenhausen. I was trying to set up myself for the role I was going to play here when, when I'd be home to detach my dad as CEO of, of this farm. And I, I soon realized that I would have to spend much more time studying if I wanted to get the knowledge I needed for taking this position and, and still doing my bachelor's degree. So I quit writing exams on topics I wasn't interested in and uh, I, I focused on the candy that the university was able to offer. So that led me to not getting the bachelor's, but I, I figured myself spending time on studying way more efficient than, than most of my fellow students. Um, found myself having much more time for topics that are most valuable for me. And I, I learned how I could optimize nutrient cycles on my farm. I spend a lot of time in understanding soil and how it functions, how composting works and so on. And I, I also spend a lot of time to learn and think about sustainability especially in our system of food production. The common good economy principle, they, they caught my focus during studies. And in the meantime, I was spending a lot of time learning how to practically grow vegetables that I wasn't learning in the apprenticeship and take care of all the, the plants and um, one point I figured like like mushrooms and fungi, um, very amazing stuff, um, 
had to learn about that a little bit more. So I did, I had the time and yeah, this all together gave me a much bigger understanding of nature and, and how we could bring it into this food producing system. So in 2018, we had like this drought I was mentioning earlier, and um, I was I was coming home in October 2020. So it uh, started to rain again after this drought, and um, I I I realized that this is like well, if if we don't solve the problem of water on this farm, it could be um, like very influencing our future producing system here. And um, so, so that year we sold 12 animals to the butcher early to um, be able to feed the others. We started to feed our winter fodder in August and one cow uh, died at a heat stroke. So um, very extreme situation on this farm, very extreme situation um, during my time of ex experiencing agriculture. And yeah, I, I realized that the bigger problem was our climate crisis. And with solving that, we, uh, we'd have to struggle less with extreme weather situations that yeah, would lead to better yields and uh, stuff everywhere around the globe. And when when I came here on the farm in, in that year, I went to the paddocks and I, I saw it getting green first next to the these these tree lines I was mentioning earlier. And I I went on the internet and uh, looked it up or start to to searching for how trees are influencing our agricultural system and that led me to agroforestry and um, i still had one year and a half to um, start diving deeper into this and start planning the first systems for our farm and um, yeah that's what we did first when I came back in October 2020. And how did your parents uh, welcome this? I mean, you arriving with uh, new ideas and, and the idea of including trees, for example, did they get that uh, that project or were they a bit skeptical? I was earlier talking a, a lot about my grand-grandfather that influenced my dad a lot, um, the guy that always carried the tree. Um, from from that impact, my father always wanted to be a forester, but his dad uh, made him to take over the farm. So um, he was a farmer wanting to be a forester. That yeah gave me a very easy time to make him understand why trees are a good impact to everything else around us. So. Um, it, it, it was a little bit weird for all of them to get these ideas into the system, but um, it, it was everything else and a hard time for me 
um, telling them my ideas and uh, making them know that this would be beneficial for us all. So what are these tree systems then? Give us a description of what they look like and where they are in the landscape. So we have both like uh, silver pastoral systems and silver arable systems. Um, I, I will start on the silver pasture. It's um, basically three different systems that are connected to each other. We have a little chestnut orchard, which is a kind of experiment in, in the first hand. Then we have a apple and pea orchard um, on the closest grazing paddock. And in between these two, we have a fodder hedge that's, um, that's planted alongside our, our pathways for the animals. We built earlier on. Um, so, yeah, the orchards are both um, ally cropping systems, which have like spacings of 12 meters um, between the trees and 17 meters in between the, the tree lines. So we are able to work with our biggest machine, the slurry tank, which, which spreads around 15 meters in total. And um, the, the chestnut orchard also is set up in a key line system um, where we'd be able to work with the key line equipment, stuff like that. Those uh, fodder hedges, you say they're along the pathways. That's the, the paths that the cows take every day to go back to the milking parlor. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's right. And, and how do you plan to manage that then? Do you plan to have them outside of the cow's reach and that you give access to the fodder uh, when you decide to? Or do you just let them browse as they go by? Well, at, at first, we definitely keep them outside to let the trees develop. But uh, later on, when the trees are big enough, uh, we, uh, we let them browse on up to the height they, they can reach. But not too much inside the, the fodder head. So there is going to be an electrified fence around it to space them from the, from the essential parts of the trees. And everything that grows above, uh, I'd like to harvest. And um, at the moment, we are planning a hay drying system and a new stable for the animals. Um, and yeah, and that we, we'd like to produce fodder hay um, or, or leaf hay. I'm, I'm not sure how uh, exactly you'd call that. But yeah, so we have some of that for the winter as well. I heard and read that there's a lot of minerals in the leaves of the trees and some trees, for example, the mulberry, um, they... They have lots of protein that, that I'd like to use for the animals. So both grazing and harvesting for winter is going to be the plan over there. Have you come across um, resources on you know how you could harvest and dry it efficiently? Because I think that's one of the main challenges with mm -hmm, the, mm -hmm. the tree hay. Uh, however appealing it might be is like compared to uh, grass hay, which is easily mechanized, it doesn't seem so easy to put in place on a large scale. Yeah, um, I 
I've kind of pushed that a little bit towards the future. We we just planted the trees. It's about five, six more years until we really start harvesting. And so we still have a little bit of time and maybe let the others who are inventing those machines a little bit of time. Um, I'd, I'd like to, like, I, I have two guys that um, are in the machinery producing industry and um, they are curious already how the fodder hatch is going to look like in a few years. So they can make like a little bit of brainstorming as well, how the perfect machine would look like. Um, from another person in Germany who is um, uh, working with agroforestry, he's uh, curious about the uh, winery tools where you drive alongside a, a vineyard and um, cut the, the leaves of the of the wine grape um, plants so yeah still time to figure something out uh, we we haven't yet um, paid the most attention to that so we were uh, continuing our virtual tour of the farm so what other tree systems do you have uh, in addition to the silver pastoral ones so there, there is a several arable system that we planted last year in autumn and this year. We have willow trees alongside the, the road that is next to the, um, the field. And then in the field, we have another ally cropping system with a spacing of 34 meters, so double the spacing of the orchards. So we can drive a little bit more easily with our big machinery. And um, we always get contractors for harvesting the grass, for example, or harvesting the grains that are growing up there. And um, they are getting bigger and bigger. So I figured this could be, um, yeah, more, more sustainable for long-term decisions to, to have a bit of wider spacing in between the tree lines. What we are growing there is um, raspberry at the, clo at, at the closest to the ground and honeyberry. Um, so these two are the, the, the berry varieties in there. And then, um, so it's, it's built up, the, the whole system is a little bit um, going towards the principles of syntropic agriculture or centropic agroforestry. So over the raspberries, we grow kind of um, biodiversity trees and willow trees for organic matter. And those are going to be overgrown by walnut trees, which is maybe the, the main uh, part of this whole system to, okay. to grow walnuts and harvest them. And the, the upper level or the, the last level that uh, is overgrown um, by value trees. So um, it's, it's for veneer industry in like 60, 70 years uh, when we harvest those trees. Um, I hope that every one of those trees, um, it's about, I think, 25 or something um, of those, uh, they will at the moment, uh, give about 6,000 to 8,000 euros one tree. And I figured this could be a nice 
um, possibility for future generations to have uh, when when they can harvest those trees. So on the tree line, it's planted pretty dense, densely, if I understand properly. Uh, oh yeah, you have all these different stratas. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. it's it it was hard the whole planting uh, season and uh, to get all the work done. So we skipped the raspberries and the the honeyberries for next year. Um, at the moment, we just have the the walnut trees and the value trees growing there, but it's going to be dense. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm curious to see, like, uh, so of course I understood that uh, in the beginning uh, there was this context of the drought and it was um, everything was dried up and and you know you had to sell cows. Uh, so I understand the silver arable systems really well. What led you to bring trees into your arable fields as well? Um, was it just to maximize the amount of trees? Was it because you saw an an advantage as well for the crop being grown? Uh, what was your thought process there? My, my main vision for our farm, I, I'd like to call ecoculture. And with, with me being an ecoculturist, which, which sounds a lot better in German, I have to admit. So it's, it's a combination of horticulture, agriculture and forestry. And I, I see a lot of benefits in combining these three systems of land use for maximizing the intensity to, to feed, yeah, 10 billion humans on Earth and fight climate crisis with that. So, so these are the main goals I think um, I'd like to achieve with agroforestry in, in the beginning. So it was the idea of like intensifying production in a sense. You're like, how productive can we get this farm? How many layers of, of productivity can we add on top of each other? Like that's the main challenge you, you're, you're, you're answering. Okay. And that's for sure. It's, I, I mentioned that um, all of my predecessors they uh, managed to let the farm grow a little bit in size i i think this is a little bit utopic in the moment because of the prices of the land are are crazy and i yeah really don't see the point and but um a key of still growing um which is interesting to to give more people the opportunity to um, benefit of of our farm um, is to to intensify and um, uh, produce more from less field. Tell us a bit about the objectives uh, of each specific system and a bit your methodology in uh, in designing those systems. I think my main motivation was and is to have like a serious action against climate change. I'm aware my and the existence of those around me depend on it so um yeah this is definitely my main motivation i also like to see our natural sources as as for different production factors it's like water and soil and biodiversity and the sun and the three first ones we are able to regenerate so the sun might not be able to be affected by us but we can try to use it most effective as possible so this is what we're trying to do with agroforestry um at at first over here in in schleswig-holstein it's very windy because um we we have our country in between two oceans and the wind reduction 
and the shade uh, and an increase of organic matter saves and stores water in the soil and the ecosystem around it. So, so this is quite essential as we saw in 2018. And yeah, there, uh, water came into my head and stayed ever since. And like when you start to understand what soil really is and, and what you can do to increase its fertility, its ability to grow plants and its ability to store carbon, you'd, you'd find many similarities between what agroforestry does and, and what soil needs. And with our knowledge now and innovative technology, we can build soil instead of letting it erode by wind and water. And um, I think the biodiversity part speaks for itself. Um, definitely a main motivation to connect different wooden structures in our countryside with, with each other, uh, to let the smaller wildlife be able to move and, and find partners. So this is basically what the fodder hedge does. Um, it's, it's spreading over our grazing paddocks to, to connect different wooden structures that already exist. Um, as I already mentioned, I, I think a lot about nutrient cycles in our farming system. And here and there we have leakages with nutrients. Um, sometimes they are concentrated, so they, they would erode through the soil. For example, uh, at, the, at the pathways of our grazing paddocks, uh, where the animals spend a lot of time walking. And there we planted the, the fodder hedge alongside. Um, so the idea was that the trees would grow underneath and keep the nutrients from polluting our water bodies by getting eroded vertically. So I think this has economic value as well. Um, so the nutrients in organic agriculture are quite expensive. So, so I focus on keeping them in our system. For sure, I find a lot of motivation in, in making our animals who are like the part of the farm that uh, keeps everything running. Um, so I'd, I'd like to give them a much more enjoyable place on Earth. I find it unethical to use animals for consumption without trying to, to give them all they need to live the best life. Um, so creating a more homogeneous shade and sun ratios in a warming climate plus give them something to scratch themselves uh, in, in case they feel too I experience make them happier beings. So with, with stuff like this, I, I always enjoy to create beautiful pictures in the context of food production. So last year we started the mother bonded rearing of our calves. And in, in the fruit orchard on one of our paddocks, we, we now start to let the cows in with their up to 1.5 month old calves and rotate in an Irish grazing system in between the trees. So imagine now 50 fruit trees starting to flower in the spring with happy calves and moms enjoying their time underneath. So those visions gave me the power and motivation and create the emotional impact on those who think about what kind of fruit producers they want to support with their consumption. And yeah, those are like main 
ideas and and main pictures in my head that we like to transform our paddocks and uh, arable lands with but how did you how did you go from those visions and those pictures to actually implementing a plan you know uh how was the process of actually then deciding what tree to put in and where to put it in before we plant a tree there, there there is always like a big process of planning um i've had uh lots of talking to different consultants especially uh the the company Treepwerk from Witzenhausen they are giving me um very much help for the arable system and um helping me uh with the with the trees planted already so um for example in the in the arable system we were um planning for i think um three quarters of a year before we even planted the tree and we thought about where the wind is coming from and how the sun goes over the the arable land um and how we would uh, put the tree lines uh, towards the sun and how we'd space um, the willow trees next to the the um, the street which is the opposed uh, side of the paddock for the wind um so yeah we always think about wind first um where to put trees to shelter off that and then um try to use the sun perfectly um as we uh, put the allies of the trees uh, in the north to south direction to have no uh place next to the the trees uh, which is always in the shade or always in the sun you understand Yeah, very well. But mm-hmm. did that conflict with, for example, the usual way machinery would move around in the field? Um, because, you know, sometimes you have like these uh, principles, but then you have a field that just the shape means that it's much more logical to plant, you know, if you had a rectangle, for mm-hmm. example, in the length. Did you, were you able to to conciliate um, this kind of north-south uh, light consideration with uh, efficient movement of uh, machinery? Uh, that's for sure. We like... The paddocks we already planted um, the trees on, we had the beneficial situation that the 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 most effective way to uh, to drive with the machines are those north to south directions, hmm. not perfectly, but nearly. Okay. Yeah. It's gonna be a little bit uh, different on on other paddocks that we are definitely planning to to grow trees on as well. But um, I also see beneficials in that. So when we have these shade uh, situations be behind a a tree line that's from east to to, to west um, and a place on the south where always is sun, we diversify our land again and create different habitats for for animals um, that then diversify our our whole ecosystem and i think 
there is the main key in diversifying. Then in the choice of uh, like uh, uh, which plants to, I mean, you, you mentioned like, for example, chestnut orchards. Mm -hmm. um, how did you come about choosing uh, what varieties of plants to put and what was most adapted or what you wanted to experiment with? Mm. I, staying at the chestnuts, for example, um, I figured there's going to be a problem or... I think there's going to be a problem in the future uh, with the grains we are consum consuming, like um, very high bred wheats, for example, um, makes uh, the consumers sometimes have like these gluten intolerances. And the, the chestnut is a valuable um, uh, calorie. Uh, carb yeah, carbohydrate. Uh, yeah. And um, yeah, this could be an alternative to this, uh, like mainly consumed wheat products. And also, the trees are giving very nice and, and rich wood uh, that's good for outside furniture or the tree uh, or the, the the fence posts. The leaves for the for the animals um, are easy to digest and uh, give a lot of nutrients. And um, then, yeah, I, I talked about the shade and the wind reduction. So this is making the chestnut so interesting for me. Also that the, it's going to be hardy when the climate is going to be drier. And um, yeah. And the, the varieties of example. chestnuts, were were you able to source... Uh, how did you go about? Because I, I guess it's quite an unusual crop for where you are. So where did mm -hmm. you go and get the genetics? Or uh, did you find any nurseries that you were able to work with then in Germany? I did. There, There is one guy in Witzenhausen. He likes to um, get uh, interesting seeds from the whole world to... Um, to produce the, the small trees. And he is doing some very interesting stuff that uh, the, the root trainers of the trees are very long, like up to 90 centimeters. And um, so the, the root of the chestnuts, the first root that's go, going down very straight. The taproot. The taproot. I, I didn't have the word. Thank you. Um, Uh, needs to be um, or, or doesn't need to be cut or the, the tree cannot be transplanted and then get into the um, the orchard something like mm -hmm. that so the, so he trains this taproot to be one and um, uh, well that gives the tree the the beneficial situations in in more dry climates to get into deeper layers of the soil very fast and so that's how he treats his plants and and he got influenced by um, the, the, the British agroforestry mentor uh, Martin Crawford um, he he wrote quite a few very recommendable books I think um, So he has different varieties that fit very well to the the northern Europe part, 
um, I think we're kind of the same hate. So you also so far mentioned uh, some fodder species, um, the veneer, the walnuts. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. Is there any other notable uh, choices that you've made in terms of uh, species? One very interesting variety to me is the the mulberry and the fodder hedge, which has a very interesting protein that is um, more digestible and uh, has more protein in total than alfalfa, for example. So um, a a very interesting plant, uh, especially in the organic farming of uh, dairy cows, um, where protein is always quite expensive. And getting a tree to to bring that source into the farm is... um, I think very interesting to me. Also, I'd, I'd like to farm chickens in the future um, in, in these ecosystems and they would benefit from the fruits as well. Uh, I think uh, this, this mulberry is, is giving us a lot of benefits in the future. So I have a little bit of a focus on that. On the other hand, we we have six more varieties in the fodder hedge. It's elder, it's hazel and chestnuts um, also, but not the grafted um, chestnuts, but um, the the ones that are just growing out of the the nut. Um, They are very high in minerals. And I think this is something that I'd like to get rid of is uh, buying mineral fodder for our animals. So one one bigger um, aspect of the whole dairy farming thing over here is getting rid of all the um, all the deliverers um, that are bringing us food. Um, I, th- I I figured like in in crises or in, in different situations, it's more beneficial to be able to um, produce everything on your own. Yeah. So, you know, moving on to a bit more like the day-to-day management, um, my first question might be, you know, obviously on a farm full of cows, like how did you go about protecting the young trees? We have to address quite a few animals to uh, take care of the trees. It's... Um, at first, the mice and the ground, um, we try to get them away with garlic. And, and mainly, the more valuable trees, um, we put wire around the roots for them to develop in the early years. Um, uh, during the time, it's getting oxygenated. Everybody knows what I wanted to say. Yeah. Um, so it's going to vanish over the years and the roots are going to be free when they are big enough to uh, take care of the mice. And we put like places for hawks and predators from the air uh, to sit and relax while hunting. And um, also we, we put nestings in the trees for them to make the nesting easier. So this is how we address the mice. Um, the walnuts, actually, they, they don't need to be addressed 
uh, for that, uh, the mice don't like the roots for everybody who, who wants to know about that. Um, I think, yeah, yeah, that's, that's the thing with the mice. Then we have rabbits. Uh, those are a pain in the ass. I can tell. Um, <laughs> we, we put like uh, wire cylinders around every tree of the fodder hedge, about a hundred and no, 1,300. It was quite some work. And um, it was 50 centimeters high. Um, that's not enough for rabbits um, or for our rabbits. Um, they, they took a few of the trees uh, over that. But the, the metal wire around it uh, made the tree um, still live after that. So um, they grow again. But uh, yes, that's, that's something that needs to be addressed. That's for sure over here. And over that uh, metal wire, we put a bigger wire um, with about a height of um, two meters. So um, at the single trees, we address all deers and um, our, our um, cattle with those. And this, this breed we are having here, uh, the, the Holstein cows, they are quite big. I think they're the biggest dairy cows um, existing. So uh, it's it's necessary to protect the trees up to two meters high, um, which is quite expensive and uh, exhausting. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. But, um, yeah, it's it's uh, gonna take a while until the trees are fine, and uh, I think uh, the the protection is, um, yeah, one. One thing you've got to figure out, that's for sure. On the silver arable land where we don't have the cows, it's way easier. Um, we, we just have these, um, yeah, the, the protection against the deer, with which is the protection against the rabbits as well. So um, way less expensive and, uh, yeah, much, much more easy to set up. So... Next to the animals, uh, we, we protect the trees against weeds, um, especially in the fodder hedge. Uh, we, we have to take care of them uh, yeah, a lot. And uh, what we do over there is, I think, quite interesting. Um, we start to grow vegetables. And I think like it, it gives the farm the beneficial situation of having more products for our customers and it makes the the weeding process for the trees less expensive or you, you have a faster capital income uh, from the trees again um, you've got to weed them anyway so uh, we we started to grow garlic and celery in between the trees in the rows of the fodder hedge and that worked pretty well. We had some places where we didn't grow any vegetables and we were weeding, I think, two to three times more in those places. And they're still looking worse. Um, what I figured is the very best undercrop uh, is the pumpkin. 
we've had in the fodder hedge one big event of planting, I think, 50 plants last year and mulching them uh, with a material of manure and silage and uh, lots of wood chips, about 10 centimeters thick, and that was it for the year. And they are still clean in mm. the next autumn after the pumpkins being harvested and uh, sold. And yeah, I think. Well, yesterday we uh, started uh, this, the seeding of the next pumpkins. And um, I said last year it was 15. It's going to be 200 this year. Because I imagine you need something that's also like, you know, it doesn't require too much labor because obviously, although the idea of growing vegetables on the tree line is quite appealing in terms of uh, piling up uh, uses of the land and really intensifying production, like it's uh, it's uh, labor intensive enough to grow vegetables, but then to do it like within a tree line can be a bit more complicated logistically, I assume. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, what What I figured is really annoying is to always go through the fence to the trees like I have to figure something out that we put like a gate or something, but then like we, we have these different paddocks where the cows are grazing and we have to let them in to these paddocks. So the, the fodder hedge is divided into different sections. And um, I think to get access to all the different parts of the fodder hedge, I would have to put 13 different gates mm. and, uh, yeah, it's a pain in the ass to get there. Uh, it's um, not too easy to not stamp on the trees when you when you weed inside. So I think the pumpkin is the very best uh, uh, to to get off this uh, problem of weeding and getting into there, getting out of there, and stuff like that. What I also figured is at the moment we are feeding humans over the animals so we we always feed our animals to get the humans fed and this is something i i really dislike i think it's it's very more effective to grow like vegetables and uh, get the get the food um directly to the aid to the to the humans and um this is what the the vegetable input is uh, giving me of a good time over here um, to finally have this this plants these plants um, that feed um, our customers directly but were you never tempted like in terms of saving labor to put maybe mats or you know uh, putting something just for the weeds and then having your kind of separate vegetable garden I mean the reason why I push this mm -hmm. forward is because uh, with Dimitri and Mazzy Farm, we also had this temptation at the beginning of uh, wanting to add this on top of this on top of that, but then it becomes very hard to mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, make it work on a kind of uh, labor uh, system, especially in the current uh, farming model. You know, if if you have a, a system where you have a, a lot of labor, I mean, these systems are amazing. Yeah. But uh, it's the compromise, right? Well, at at the moment, it's working. Um, so me as as managing all this uh next to the animals and and the cropping and the gardening um i i have a team of of mainly three other guys at the moment it's it's my dad 
Bird, a five-month intern Hannes from Eberswalde, and uh, Juan, an employee from Chile, who was who part of this farm since April 21. He, he was actually doing the most of the work in the agroforestry, mainly the, the weeding and taking care of the pumpkins and the garlic and stuff like that. So he got a lot of help from other interns that usually stayed up to two weeks or three months in total. And um, I think we had 16 or 17 last year. So, so this is basically our crew at the moment uh, when it comes to the maintenance out in the open, taking care of the rest of the farm. And uh, for planting of the pumpkins, we, we had help from my mates from university. I, I shared my flat with and stuff like this. So there, there's coming lots of people here. And um, I, I always like to give opportunities with the farm to get those people some interesting jobs and make them happy. Like, uh, no kidding. They are happy working here, not somewhere else. And um... but somehow I feel like this 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 project. I mean, this model works for like the pioneers and the people doing something exciting. But somehow, if we're gonna change uh, the whole agric whole of agriculture, uh, it's gonna be hard to scale for if for every farm you need twenty friends. You know, or like it's gonna work in certain contexts because you know you're probably able to. Uh, sell also some dream about the agroforestry you're also about to get some um, media attention and interns are applying but uh, somehow that's still quite exclusive to the the first initial exciting pioneers no don't you think oh oh that's for sure um i i actually don't even think that it's works that it works for the the whole scaling of my farm um so at the moment we have like six to ten percent of all our lands in agroforestry um yeah compared with vegetables uh, underneath the trees and um there there is no way that we would make this on all of our lands so um not not even just the management but the the the, the work effort is not doable i think what, what I think is with uh, the the growth of the trees, for example, the fodder hedge, they, the, the trees need maintenance for, I think, up to three years, and uh, then they can grow on their own without getting weeded. And uh, we might be able to start next part of the fodder hedge and then uh, skip to machine work in the fodder hedge that is already older. You know what I mean? So mm. we always have these very intense um, uh, first two to three, maybe four years of the agroforestry system and then skip to a less labor uh, version of the agroforestry during the time it grows older. But so um, to, to understand, like the way you, you see it scaling on your farm is, is work by little bits. It's like mm -hmm. you always have a little bit that you're intensively managing and then, you know, that kind of becomes independent a bit more and then you start another, a new plantation. Is that how you visualize it through time? A little bit. I'm, I'm curious if it works. Um, we're not experienced with that. So we will figure that out during the next years. And um, I 
always tried to see different agroforesters uh, who were doing that before. Um, I'm I'm not sure whether it's working out, but um, that's why we didn't uh, transfer the whole farm into agroforestry at the beginning. So yeah. learning successionally uh, every time, bits by bits. Yeah, that's that's interesting, and you're you're giving yourself some options as well. You know, I I, I quite liked what you were saying of the father head, just like yeah, I don't know how I'm gonna harvest it, but at least I'm putting the trees in, and then we'll see in seven or eight years, probably someone will have come up with something interesting. Um, so yeah, that's cool. You, you can't make plans for sixty years, seventy years in the future. I think like no, who, who knows what's gonna be. Mm. Um, especially at, at these times where lots of change is happening in in very short time and uh, yeah the the whole situation is so fast changing around us and i don't know one thing i wanted to ask you though and which i find really interesting is how did you bring these innovative systems into the business uh and i mean of course there's uncertainty it's highly innovative so it's a fairly high risk for the farm to invest uh, on something with such a long cash flow. How did you fund these systems? So um, the, the first one we did are on our own uh, with a little bit of help uh, of a foundation called Alfred Töpfer Stiftung um, and the VRD Stiftung for Renewable Energy. So the first one gave us money uh, for buying the trees and the the other paid the bill of our consultant that helped us planting the trees um, in 2020 we had a very good year with perfect weather for our animals and the grass to grow so the, the budget for the first plantation was quite nice um, was it was this schemes or that existed and they usually give money to farmer or you did you have to kind of go and and seek these companies out and explain your project like uh what mm -hmm. kind of opportunity is it it? It, 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 came, it it came over the consultant he was like hey if, if you want to plant with me you should ask those guys about a cooperation they want to give you money for that and um, they want to have like more agroforestry systems to um, fund and uh, have in their system to i don't know advertise or something so um those existed and um, are curious and interested uh, about agroforestry and like to get themselves in there. Interesting. Um, yeah, it was very easy to to get this done. I think I w didn't even have to write like a I don't know um, long texts or business plans or stuff. Um, yeah, no, not needed. It, a little bit differently was the the funding for the second agroforestry system. So um, we we weren't as lucky uh, with with the year. It it wasn't the best uh, weather situations, so the budget was um, lower, but. Um, I and the farm knew much more people um, so far with this whole agroforestry thing. And I, I was now raising 
85,000 euros with three different institutions. So we have the so-called active region uh, that is supposed to distribute money from the EU in innovative projects. Um, they, they will pay the maintenance cost in the first two years of the Walnut system. So we can hire a person just for that and um, our, our farm, which is quite relevant, I think. Like, as I said, the, the first two years are very intense. Um, the, the second was quite funny to, to read in the newspaper. So our local parliament, uh, they, they wanted to distribute the money they got from the speeding tickets into reforestation projects. And I was like, well, it's not quite reforestation, but let's, let's hear what they think about agroforestry. I might be able to spread some knowledge as well. So they were amazed by that and what I was telling them. And um, yeah, we, we got the funding from them. And the third one uh, was, I, I, I guess I like it most. Um, there, there is a company so-called uh, Deutschland forsted auf, or it's like Germany reforests. They are working on connecting companies that search sustainable projects and those like us or, or foresters who plant trees or do something similar. In our case, this cooperation led to a contract for sustainability. A company called GVG Glassfather or like glass fiber company from Kiel, about 10 kilometers away, gives us money for our business of regeneration. In return, we provide percentages for their employees in our shop. We provide the vegetables that aren't suitable for being sold and would be wasted instead. Uh, the employees can take them for free if they want. There is going to be a little bit of merchandise on social media for our goals. And I will hold some speeches about sustainability in our food chain. Also, we plan two hands-on days where their employees are coming for bigger work events like planting the pumpkin or, or pruning or whatever is needed. So I really focused on a contract where we can avoid greenwashing. That's like kind of my biggest concern I was thinking about. And um, yeah, I find it as a very nice kind of symbiosis between the companies of us that could be an example for more so we now limited the contract for one year but presumably we'll have another contract next year i think what's interesting in, in the two later um, examples of funding you gave is that in both cases it was also the opportunity for you to tell the agroforestry story mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and get the message out yeah, and yeah. you know potentially beyond the money you receive the fact that you were able to make that case for agroforestry to your uh, local parliament or uh, i'm not exactly sure how you called it mm -hmm. and to a, a local company and the employees being involved on the farm i think potentially that's just interesting in itself you know beyond yeah, uh, the uh, actual financial opportunity i think like the 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 main thing that we should focus about now is on education for sustainable development uh, that's that's what we are focusing on this farm that's for sure like with the kindergarten or the school kids coming here or we we make like field days for all the practitioners around us 
or um, yeah, like these these um, workers of these companies that are interested in a sustainable lifestyle or a sustainable consumation. And um, on, on this farm, there is a lot of uh, ongoing for the the profits of yeah sustainability and the the education of the were there any constraints that came with this funding i'm thinking especially of the eu related funding i know that eu funding can be a bit uh, bureaucratic mm -hmm. uh, in this case did they have any specific requirements or you know what were the conditions that came with it oh yeah they they had a few um it was a little bit of writing uh, in in the first hand that I I think compared to others I'm I'm not an expert in this but um, I figured like I spent five to six hours for that whole funding of fifty thousand euros and well I think that was worth it yeah for <laughs> sure. Yeah. It's interesting that they fund labor as well. Like uh, I mm -hmm. hadn't heard it yet. Mm -hmm. I'd, I'd heard the um, EU schemes funding tree plantations and the trees and the protections, but uh, to actually generate like an income for someone to take care of the agroforestry system, I think is quite interesting. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what was the problem, but um, they they were like, ah, oh, we can't invest into ecological anything so we can't buy the trees and we can't buy but but the labor we could do so yeah wh whatever they thought about but um that that was the way we could cooperate in that situation yeah maybe like taking this interview to an end i just like to hear your thoughts about um your plans for the future and kind of the big questions you're faced with today uh as you think about your agroforestry systems so, as I said, I definitely want to scale the agroforestry on this farm. I want to have the benefits of the trees on, on each paddock. Maybe they are a little bit less labory, um, but I think it's, um, yeah, necessary to, to have like this impact on climate change and um, get this resilience for climate change on the farm. And then combined with the hay drying system, which is able to dry everything else, like walnuts or chestnuts or the different vegetables we are growing or maybe some mushrooms, that's a future project for sure. Um, and yeah, so so this is the, the, the bigger infrastructure. And I think the, the main path that we are already going that's gonna stay i guess pretty much the same um i i never want to be how's it called um dogmatic about something i i always kind of try to get different perspectives of um, other people but um, i've had so many people that told me and us that we are on the same path or on, on, on the right track um, towards the future, um, that these principles or these philosophies, I think uh, we have pretty much figured out. And 
I guess that's a little bit of the visionary thing. Um, these, these whole nutrient cycles and um, diversifying of our um, uh, yeah, um, company branches, I'd say, um, uh, they are getting more complex and they are getting more into each other. I, I find that beneficial so far and I think we can figure out here a little bit more about that. Felix, thank you so much for taking the time to answer to these questions and for sharing your journey and uh, all your knowledge. Thank you, Etienne. Uh, as I said, I'm, I'm very honored to be part of your work and um, let's get agroforestry towards the future. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode. I'll include in the description all the relevant links Please feel free to get in touch with any questions or suggestions.